Well, we're excited today. I know I'm, I'm excited, and I think you will be, to welcome Dan McNerney here to uh, be our guest preacher this morning. I'd like to tell you a little bit about him. Dan lives in the Chicago area where he serves with Presbyterian Frontier Fellowship, and uh, both he and Jerry Deck told me they knew each other um, as Jerry was serving as a pastor in the Chicago area, which is really neat, had connection there through ministry and missions in that area. Dan's an ordained pastor of the PCUSA, but really he's called to missions. He started out in business, but had a call to missions and to ministry. He started a church in Costa Rica. He served and led teams in places like Mexico and East Africa. And we have a connection here at ZPC uh, with Dan from his service in a church in Cairo, Egypt, with Don and Sue Armstrong, and then mission trips to Spain, which people like Philanna Cunningham and Sue Armstrong have been on as well. So Dan is supported by our ZPC Mission Commission, who highly recommended that he come and visit with us today. And uh, right now, what's really neat, and I think he's going to speak to this in the message, he's reaching out to Muslims in the Chicago area and and reaching out to bring them the love and grace of Jesus Christ. So we're really excited to hear from Dan this morning. And come on up, Dan. Let's give him a big welcome. Thank Thank you. Well, let's begin by hearing from the Lord, and all of us need to make this transition from Thanksgiving into into Christmas and Advent, so nothing better than reading from the Bible itself about the Christmas story. And this morning, we're going to read first from Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, then I'm going to read a little Other passage from Matthew, but first, let's hear from Luke. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You'll be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who said she was barren is in her sixth month now. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be with me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Our second reading is from Matthew and focuses more on Joseph. Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, 
But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to make Mary home as your wife because what, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did, not, he did exactly what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary as his wife. This is the word of the Lord. I first want to thank you for your years of support of my ministry and my family in ministry. Presbyterian Frontier Fellowship has been in existence for over 30, almost 40 years. It has helped Presbyterians across the country to be involved in frontier mission to unreached people, to those areas of the world where the gospel hasn't yet taken root. In your church, through your support of me as a mission mobilizer to help churches and individuals and hearts and prayers be involved in frontier mission, I've witnessed you have, having had two very large impacts, especially in northern India with the untouchable people or Dalit people. You've helped give birth to the rural Presbyterian Church of northern India, which now has over two million members. It's bigger than the PCUSA church now in the United States, and is actually one of the fastest growing churches in the world, with 1.1 new churches per day being formed among the untouchable people. But you've also been very involved in Egypt, and some of you, Don and Sue Armstrong in particular, and some others, Bill Asbel has been with me uh, to um, Cairo, and you've had a huge impact on this new missionary force that's coming from the Egyptian church into the Arab world and beyond the Arab world, uh, spreading the good news through Egyptian missionaries. So I want to thank you not only of your support of me and my family, but also of these two great movements now in history. And uh, I think your past mission pastors, Quentin Small and Bill Asbel, have been quite instrumental in creating this partnership amongst us, which is still going today. And I find myself very humble to be among you. I think you're one of the more mission-focused, mission-minded churches in the Presbyterian family in America. So thank you again for having me be here and preach. When we think about our theme today of God with us, Emmanuel, that's the Hebrew word for God with us, there are many dimensions to God with us, because the last thing I want to be doing this morning is gathering to remember just this event of uh, 2,000 years ago of God dramatically with us in the form of Jesus being born to Mary and Joseph, 
That's God with us for sure, but there are other dimensions to that. And the two that I'd like to really highlight today, in addition to the unbelievably significant event of 2,000 years ago, are that God is with us, hopefully, personally, present in our lives, in our hearts, and in a way that makes us feel as if we are in connection with the divine and with something much, much greater than ourselves. That is God with us in our hearts. And the second is God with us. There's still another chapter, a big one, which is that he is returning in the future. We are still in the process of establishing his kingdom on earth. That's what we're doing in Egypt. That's what we're doing in India. That's what we're doing in Indiana. We are establishing his presence so that he will return someday and establish his new heaven and his new earth. But do you believe, do I believe, that God can be with us personally and God will be with us in the future again dramatically? God certainly did appear to Mary and Joseph. Independent of each other, angels sent to each one to announce what God was going to do through these lives. Mary was about as far from the center of political activity and social status as you could get. She was female, she was poor, she was young, a lot of traits that made you on the sides, on the outskirts, on the marginalized parts of society. There's Joseph, on the other hand. He was a descendant of Abraham and the throne of David even. But they were both from this humble little town in Nazareth. That's off the beaten track compared to Jerusalem by far. Joseph was a, a hard-working carpenter. And so God appears to both of them. And what's most interesting about this engagement period is this Hebrew marriage customs are not like how we do it here in the United States today. First of all, the parents arrange the marriage. Second of all, they stay, Joseph and Mary, stay in their parents' house for one year. And this is to test the fidelity, the purity of each one of them. And then after one year, they finally move in together, and there's a big marriage ceremony. So the angel appearing to both of them is in this one-year period. And suddenly, they're confronted with the idea that Mary is now going to be pregnant. There could not be any worse news for either one of them. Certainly for Joseph, who's like, wait a minute. How in the world are we going to explain this to our neighbors and to our families, that you're pregnant. This is exactly the thing that's not supposed to happen in this year testing period. And in fact, a young woman, like happens today in parts of the Muslim world, Mary could have been stoned. She could have been disowned by her parents. And Joseph uh, could have done the honorable thing to, to, to save his face and quietly divorce her, or publicly divorce her, but they did neither. Neither one, why? Because God spoke to them 
individually. And when God speaks to us individually, we might find ourselves doing things that make no sense, or society is going to tell us we're crazy, or worse, that we've dishonored something or somebody. So they felt ill-equipped, inadequate, and scared, but God told them, don't worry, this doesn't make a lot of sense, it looks impossible, but I'm with you. Mary knew through the, the, the angel that this was the fulfillment of all the promises that the prophets had talked about. Judaism was not in great shape. She just couldn't believe it was she who was being chosen. And Joseph couldn't believe he, in the line of David, was being chosen. They said yes to God. That is point number one, which is are you trying to please others more than you're trying to please God? If we are trying to please God first, it might mean sometime that we will puzzle others. And are you willing, and am I willing, to puzzle others because we know deeply in our heart we're doing what God wants us to do? Because he has been with us deeply in our hearts. That's who Mary and Joseph are, people who had God with them deeply in their hearts. That kind of appearing to people that God does is happening all the time, everywhere around the world. One of my jobs as a mission mobilizer is to, when I'm not in the United States, I'm overseas looking for how God is appearing to others and supporting missionaries, national missionaries, who are taking the word of God to others because God has appeared to them. And I would say that without a doubt, and I've been doing this for 17 years now, the, and I've been a mission mobilizer in Latin America and Europe, but when September 11th, 2001 happened, it just completely changed my focus to the Arab world. And that's why some of you have been with me to Egypt. The events of September 11, 2001, not only rocked our world, but a lot of people don't know it rocked the Muslim world equally, if not more. And how do we know that? Well, we started getting word from our, our Presbyterian brothers and sisters in Egypt that there was a quadrupling of the number of people who wanted Bibles to read, Muslims, and wanting quadruple to tenfold number of Jesus films because they wanted to know more about Jesus. Why? Because Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda had thrown down the, uh, the gauntlet and said, this is the proper interpre interpretation of Quran, and the militant fundamentalist agenda is the proper understanding of Muhammad's teachings and we must oppose the West. Well, what a lot of people didn't know was 90% of Islam disagreed with that. Of the 1.3 billion Muslims in the world today, about 10% are radical and militant, but that leaves about a 90% that are, I don't know. I don't 
know if I agree with flying planes into buildings and innocent people dying or going into the Pentagon and innocent people dying. So there was like, let's look at Jesus again. Jesus is a prophet of all Muslims, the only one who's sinless, born of a virgin, and a miracle worker. They know a lot about Jesus. They don't know him as God. They don't know him as their savior, but they wanted to know more. Do you know that in the last 30 years, more Muslims have come to faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior than all the other 14 years combined, 1400 years combined going back to the seventh century of Muhammad? That the Lord is working phenomenally in the Muslim heart right now around the world. This is the largest unreached people group that there is. And in the many trips to Cairo that I've taken, I've even had the privilege of being face to face with these Muslims who've come to faith in Jesus. And I can remember one time being in a room with a former terrorist. And he said, you know, I, he was in the room with some of us from the West, but mostly uh, other Arab Christians and Muslim background believers, and said, you know, five years ago I would have wanted to blow you up. But in a series of dreams, the Lord has appeared to me. And in the beginning of dreams that I had, I could see that I was descending into fire, into hell, the more I got militant in my heart about Islam and about Muhammad's way. And it scared me. And then someone with a, a white, you know, peaceful figure showed up and showed me that that was the wrong way, that the intensity of my life was leading me into hell. And that person was Jesus. And that led him on a path to find out more about Jesus and be discipled and eventually read the Bible and eventually give his life to Christ. That is happening all over the Arab world. And not just the Arab world, of Jesus appearing in dreams. We in the West don't think of that medium we're more scholarly and want to read our Bibles and make things extremely rational and a bit controlled. But in the non-Western world especially, Jesus is appearing in dreams to people and revealing himself just in the same way he did with Mary and Joseph. God is not confined by where there's a church or where there's not a church or where there's a Bible or whether there's not a Bible. This is one of the great pleasures that I have in my job is to see the wild ways God appears and makes himself known. He is dramatically making himself known right now in the Middle East. So all that you read about the Arab Spring and, and what is going on in Tunisia or Iran, there's, a, there's an underground church especially in Iran and Egypt. They say that in Egypt right now, uh, there's nearly a million, somewhere between 500,000 to a million Muslims who've come to faith. And the same could be said of Iran. And CNN and Fox News don't quite pick up on that, but those are the seeds, a lot of what's caused the Arab Spring all over the area. And your church has been involved in that. You've helped the Presbyterians be there for the, the ones who were having Jesus appear to them in dreams and visions and help them be discipled into followers of Jesus. But Jesus is not just appearing 
to Arabs or people in very restricted areas in the world. Jesus appears to whoever is seeking and is seeking humbly or meekly or seeking with their hearts for what? For truth. God meets people on the road to whoever wants to know what is the truth about life. I care more about truth than I do about status. I care more about truth than I do material well-being. Jesus will meet you there. How is your heart this morning? Are you seeking truth? Are you facing what is the impossible? You say, I can't get over this hurdle. Just like Mary and Joseph said, I I don't know if we can get over that hurdle. Are you tired of carrying life's burdens on your own shoulders only? Are you tempted to think that your human wisdom or intelligence is greater than God's wisdom? Or are you thinking you can please him by just simply performing for him? When Paul wrote the people in Corinth, in the first book he wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says that God purposely chose the so-called foolish people of the world in order to confound the wise people of the world. At that time, it was the Greek scholars and philosophers and Jewish leaders, and he would choose these unlikely people like Mary and Joseph, and all of a sudden, they had power in their words. They had power in their thoughts. They believed in this foolish thing called the cross, and it ended up turning the Greek philosophers of the time upside down because God had spoken to the so-called foolish people of the world who ended up having more wisdom than the so-called educated. And that is why in today, here's a statistic that I'd like you to remember. The God is flourishing in the non-Western world right now. Do you know that in the year 1900, approximately 70% of the world's Christians We're inside the Western world, Europe, the United States, other Western countries, and 30% outside in the non-Western world. By the year 2000, the exact opposite has become true. That now 70% of the world's Christians are outside the Western world, and 30% are inside the Western world. There are now missionaries being sent from Africa, from China, from Brazil, from Guatemala, from Korea, into Europe, and increasingly into the United States. God is not done with establishing his kingdom on earth. He is appearing to willing, humble hearts wherever they may be. We in the West have a challenge of being too comfortable, too educated, getting to the place where we don't need Jesus anymore because we have all the stuff we want. Well, Jesus is going to say, well, fine, if that's what you want to do, if you want to be unmeek and not poor in spirit, I'll go, I'll go somewhere else, and I can do that easily because I am still on the move. And I have to share with you real quickly that God's presence, 
I think is what every human heart is searching for. If we find the peace of God, we'll almost give up anything, won't we? I discovered that in a very profound way three and a half years ago when I got the news, the diagnosis that I had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer, and suddenly instead of moving all around the world, I had to sit and receive six months of chemotherapy, and a community of people were caring for me and my wife and five children. There were prayer, there was, there was a, a mystery before me of how my life was going to end up. There was a fear in my children of how things might go. But you know, what I experienced was the presence of God, the peace of God, to the point I don't think I've ever been less afraid of how the future is going to work out. Because if I'm with God, then he knows how the future is going to work out, and that's all I care about. And so when I pray now, when people pray for people with cancer or other illnesses, I certainly want them to be healed. I'm certainly grateful that three and a half years later I'm here amongst you. But at the same time, the first prayer I make now is God be present with them. Calm their hearts. Know that you're there. Because that's what we want more than anything, is just knowing he is truly real and with me. Real and with me. Because if he's real and with me, I can face any uncertainty, even the mystery of my own future. And as I mentioned earlier, we are not here this morning just to remember a far-off event in the past. We are here to challenge our hearts that maybe we too can have God appear to us, but also... We have a role to play in preparing the earth, preparing the world for his return. Mary and Joseph were unbelievable examples to us of bravery, of courage, of going against the grain, and having faith. But they were also instruments of God to establish his kingdom on earth. There is still so much work to do. Christianity is the largest religion in the world with 2.5 billion people calling themselves Christian. But there's still a lot of unreached people out there as well. And do you know the pleasure? Have you felt in your own life that you've been a witness, that you've been used by God to help establish his kingdom on earth? There are so many examples that we could talk about of how God has used people, but one of the most important thing is you. Have you been used? And I believe that if you haven't had that wonderful feeling of being used by God to share the faith with others, that today could be that day. And it starts in my mind with an honest conversation with God and an honest wrestling with God. Do I believe you're there. Do I believe that you are the king of the universe? You are the creator of the universe. Am I willing to bank everything on that? And I don't have the time to go into it, but I'll just say real briefly, I came to that place in my own life 
when I was in business before being called into ministry. And there was a series of events that happened to me, but that started with a reading of a book by C.S. Lewis, where I was racing to my next agricultural commodity deal, and actually going to Caracas, Venezuela at the time. God stopped me in the tracks with the screw tape letters, a book. And as soon as I read that book, my heart was calmed. There was a peace. And then I started wrestling with God. And then, and again, I wish I had more time. But then I had a wrestling with God when I was trying to buy a bunch of molasses from the Mexican government and was right before a tender. And I was like, God, what are you doing in my life? And how come now all I can do is think of you? And he appeared to me at the end of my bed in a hotel room in Mexico City, reaching out to me, calling me. And I woke up tumbling over the end of my bed. And I said, you know, this is it. If you actually do appear in dreams and actually get me to fall over the end of my bed, I'll follow you wherever you want to go. Because I do believe that being a participant in the Great Commission, however it might be for you, is what we're all called for. As, as Rick Warren once said, God didn't leave us with a great suggestion. He left us with a great commission. If God is not real, then what are we all doing here this morning? If Christianity is simply a wonderful code of conduct, philosophy, or ethic, there's no need for a leap of faith or doing the impossible. It is the reality, it's the presence of Christ in our own hearts that makes us become a witness to the world. God is with us. There is no greater news. It's not just Christmas. It's Emmanuel. The arrogant and lofty will be brought down. The humble and poor in spirit will be lifted up. All unfair oppression and injustice will be exposed. All weapons of war will be turned into plowshares. All tears will be wiped away. As the Lord God Almighty on high returns again, hallelujah and amen.